My friend Jill texted me on Wednesday morning. She's been a friend since we were like seven years old. Uh, she's, she's awesome. She texted me a quote from an author that she had been reading. I've invited her uh, to share it with you. Hear these words from Beth Moore. Be kind to people. So much of this hate burgeoning around us is rooted in fear. People who are scared often cope by hiding their vulnerability under a mean exterior. We're called to be kind to people, not because they earned it, but because Jesus has been inconceivably kind to us. I don't know if that will have anything to do with the sermon, but Jill is awesome and it seemed important. Be kind to people because Jesus has been inconceivably kind to us. That's the gospel. That's Lent. This is the fourth Sunday in the season of Lent. Jesus steadfast, Jesus inconceivably kind to the cross, to the grave, for so much more. Lent are those 40 days that precede Easter beginning at Ash Wednesday that Christians for hundreds of years have set aside to pray, to fast, and to be kind to people. Uh, the way the church has phrased it throughout its history is almsgiving, uh, charity, benevolence, being kind specifically uh, to the poor. The way Pillar has tried to nurture that heart in us during this season is by partnering with an organization in West Michigan called Kids Food Basket. Uh, Kids Food Basket intends to attack childhood hunger by providing resources so that children can learn and live well. In West Michigan alone, thousands of children, I did not misspeak and I'm not misquoting, thousands of children in West Michigan alone are food insecure and through Kids Food Basket are given a sack of food, a brown bag of food they get at school and they take home at night so that they can actually have a meal. I've asked my friend Julia Vanderveen, uh, she's our children's ministry uh, director, hired in a world pandemic, hard to do a good job in a pandemic, and she's doing a great job. I asked her if she would read for us uh, one story of one child affected by the good work of Kids Food Basket. Listen to this. The very first time Maya received her sack supper, she brought half of it with her to school the next day. She brought half of the banana, half the bag of carrots, half a juice box, and so on. Puzzled, Maya's teacher asked her why she brought her supper back. Didn't she like the food? Maya responded she knew she'd be hungry the next day, so she saved it, making it last. Maya didn't realize that she would be receiving a sack supper every day and wanted to make sure she had enough to eat the following day. Sounds like be kind to people because Jesus has been inconceivably kind to us. Uh, this is not a kid's food basket promo. Actually, this is the introduction to a sermon on a parable that Jesus told about a poor man. It's from the Gospel of Luke. There was a rich man dressed in purple 
and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus covered in sores who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table even the dogs would come and lick his sores the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side the rich man also died and was buried in Hades where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham at a far distance and Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I'm in agony in these flames. Abraham said, Child, Remember how in life you received good things and in like manner this man evil things and now he's comforted here and you're in agony. Beyond that, there is a chasm that exists between us so that no one who might want to pass from here to you is able and no one can pass from there to us. And the rich man said, Father, Then send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, so that they may avoid this place of torment. And Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. And the rich man said, no, no, if someone comes to them from the dead, then they'll repent. Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That's Luke 16, 19 through 31. This is actually the third in a set of three parables that Jesus tells. Uh, The first parable, a set of four stories, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost younger brother, the lost older brother. The second parable, the story of the rich man and the wicked manager, the third story, the third parable, our parable, the rich man and Lazarus. Each of the three parables held together by a single line. They're connected by a single phrase. There was a, first parable, there was a man who had two sons. Second parable, there was a rich man who had a manager. Third parable, our parable, there was a rich man dressed in purple, in fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. Each of the three parables held together and intended to invite us to change our hearts, change our minds, change our behavior, what the Bible calls repent. Live into who Christ died and rose again for you to be. Live into what Christ inaugurated at his birth consummated in his death and resurrection and will finally fulfill one day when he comes again to make it all right and to make it all new. For our part today, on our way to the table, I have an inconvenient conversation that we need to have and two gospel invitations I'd love to extend, all of which might just make you a little uncomfortable. 
It's going to be a great day. Uh, First, the inconvenient conversation, the inconvenient topic of conversation, death, mortality. And what happens to us when it happens to us? Uh, Jesus tells a story. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died. The rich man also died. Their lives could not have been more different The rich man dressed in purple, making sure everyone knew just how wealthy he was. The rich man dressed in fine linen, making making sure, proud of his wealth. He feasted sumptuously every day, gorging himself on his resources, a way of distancing himself and avoiding the distraction of that sick man at his gate. Lazarus, so different. We're not sure if he's clothed. We know he's not clothed very well because the dogs come and lick his sores. Clearly not feasting sumptuously. He'd take anything that fell from the rich man's table. And yet, as different as their lives are, there's this one stunning consistency. The poor man died. The rich man also died. And then Jesus goes on to tell this story about heaven and and hell. The, the, the parable itself is not meant to articulate a theology of dying or the doctrine of hell. It's not meant to give a description of what hell is like and who's in heaven and who goes where. That's not what Jesus is intending to do. But I know in my heart, and I'm guessing a few of you too, who hear a story in which Jesus says in Hades where he's being tormented and your mind's going to be distracted if we at least don't name The inconvenient conversation, death, mortality, and what happens to us when it happens to us. The Christian faith has a wide embrace for all kinds of understandings of just how the afterlife play out in eternity. Some too quickly try to dismiss them, uncomfortable with their reality, that the idea of hell is just not palatable, and yet Jesus is clearly, though not articulating a doctrine of the afterlife, is clearly operating with the assumption that they're there, that they're real, that they exist. And so to dismiss them too quickly because it just doesn't taste good to you actually dismisses Christ. He tells these stories about death, And what happens to us when it happens to us, not to worry us, not to scare us, but to invite us to live now, to live here, as the poet would say, seize the day. I'm 44. I honestly don't think much about my own mortality. I don't think much about death. The last year, maybe a little more, uh, but mostly not really. We, we, We... I don't, we don't really like to think about death. We don't even use the word dead. We say passed on, uh, fell asleep. We're just uncomfortable with the whole thing. And yet Jesus seems to want us to 
confront, be aware of, live with the reality of our dying so as to invite us to live full, whole, beautiful lives now. Uh, Tim Keller, you've heard me quote Tim Keller a few times. Uh, Tim Keller wrote a book titled On Death. It's It's a part of a trilogy of books on birth, on marriage, on death. He wrote the book On Death just before we launched into this shutdown global pandemic over the last year. After he wrote the book, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. He had to come to terms with his own mortality. The book wasn't published until three months after he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Can you imagine a global pandemic and the Box comes in the mail, the package at the door, he opens it and he sees his own book on death. He wrote an article in the Atlantic uh, reflecting on some of his experience. I've asked my friend Ryan, Jill's husband, if he would read uh, a portion of the article for us. I found myself thinking, what? No, I can't die. That happens to others, but not to me. When I said these outrageous words out loud, I realized that this delusion had been the actual operating principle of my heart. The cultural anthropologist Ernest Becker argued that the denial of death dominates our culture. But even if he was right that modern life has heightened this denial, it has always been with us. As the 16th century Protestant theologian John Calvin wrote, We undertake all things as if we were establishing immortality for ourselves on earth. If we see a dead body, we may philosophize briefly about the fleeting nature of life, but the moment we turn away from the sight, the thought of our own perpetuity remains fixed in our minds. Death is an abstraction to us, something technically true but unimaginable as a personal reality. When the certainty of your mortality and death finally breaks through, is there a way to face it without debilitating fear? Is there a way to spend the time you have left growing into greater grace, love, and wisdom? Is there a way to spend the time you have left growing into greater grace, love, and wisdom? Keller wonders, having written the book on death, is there a way in the time you have left to live into greater grace, love, and wisdom? That's why Jesus tells the story. Not not to worry you about your own dying or leave you wondering about what happens later, but to invite you to live now. In the time you have left to grow into greater grace, love, and wisdom. That's the inconvenient conversation. Now a gospel invitation There's a phrase repeated in this parable by Abraham to the rich man. They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. And the the rich man sort of objects and Abraham comes back. If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Moses and the prophets. Moses and the prophets. 
make up a large portion of what we call the Old Testament when partnered with the New Testament offers to us the whole story of God as it's revealed in Scripture. It's the whole story of God's heart, Moses and the prophets. Jesus is telling us the story so that we might come alive to who we are and who we are to become as it's directed for us in the whole story of God, in the Scriptures, Moses and the prophets. We are inundated all the time by stories that try to tell us what's true and right and good and beautiful. We're overwhelmed by the influences that seek to grab us with their arms and hold us in their grasp to keep us from all God intends, all the while he's written his heart in a book, he's offered it to us, not, not a burden, a set of rules that, you have to, that you're crushed by, not something to overwhelm you in life, but rather an invitation to be all you can be. Moses and the prophets, he says. Uh, the rich man, not, not quite used to his position now, uh, starts directing traffic. He says to Abram, send, send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water so that he might cool my tongue for I'm in agony in these flames. And, and Abram's like, that's, that's not possible. And, and then he, he kind of makes a move. He sort of gets over himself and says, okay, but send him then to my, to my father's house because I've got five brothers so that they may avoid this place of torment. And, and Abraham says, well, they've got Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. And, and the rich man objects, no, 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 but if someone comes from the dead, then they'll repent. And Abraham says, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone rises from the dead. It's actually kind of interesting because a man named Lazarus would be raised from the dead. Uh, that, that's in John's gospel uh, Mary's brother Lazarus is sick. He's sick unto death, and, and Jesus gets word of it, and Jesus waits. Jesus essentially lets him die, and then he shows up, and he says into Lazarus' tomb, Lazarus, come out, and Lazarus, alive, comes out. And what happens? It doesn't become an opportunity for people to fall at Jesus' feet and declare him Lord, but rather opportunity for the scribes and the Pharisees to crucify him. The resurrection of Lazarus is actually the linchpin for Christ's crucifixion. Neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This full, whole, beautiful life Christ intends for you, he's offered in a book to guide, to direct, to lead you in the way you ought to go. So you're not sure what to do in life? How about love God, love neighbor? That, that's an idea, a novel one. Feel, feel, feel stuck in life? How about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Feel like you're in a rut? Do unto others as you would have them do unto do, to you. Not sure how to engage your friend, spouse, neighbor? How about clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience? Bear with one another. If one has a complaint against the other, forgive each other. Just as God in Christ has forgiven you, so you also ought to forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves in love. Not sure how to engage the neighborhood? How about give to the one who asks of you and do not refuse the one who wants to borrow from you? Jesus tells these stories so that you might come alive. Come alive, a life directed and guided by God's heart as it's revealed in Scripture. They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. 
so he, here's an idea. You've got three weeks. Uh, three weeks until Easter Sunday. Easter lily fragrance will fill this sanctuary. Take the next three weeks and memorize Colossians 3, the first few verses, and then verses 12 through 17. Immerse yourself in them and then show up to your Easter brunch, however that's going to happen, wherever it's going to take place, and recite it for those you're with. Colossians 3, the first few verses, and then 12 through 17. Second gospel invitation. Jesus tells these stories, this story, so that we'll, we'll open our eyes, we'll awaken our hearts to the poor. Be kind to people because Jesus has been inconceivably kind to you. He tells this story to open our hearts and awaken our minds to the poor, to care for the poor. Jesus, steadfast to Jerusalem, Jesus on his way to the cross and to the grave for so much more, tells a story to awaken our hearts to the poor in our midst. He wants you to see, he wants you to know, he wants you to meet Lazarus. This is the only parable in all the parables that Jesus tells, the only time Jesus names a character in the parable. There was a man who had two sons. We don't know the man's name, we don't know the son's names. There was a rich man who had a manager. We don't know the manager's name, we don't know the rich man's name. There was a rich man dressed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus. Meet Lazarus, Jesus says. See Lazarus, Jesus says. The rich man, he didn't see him. He avoided him at every cost. Threw a party to distract himself from the inconvenience of the poor. And then there's this haunting line. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades where he was being tormented. He looked up and saw. There he is, finally. He looked up and saw Lazarus. He finally saw him. He, he wasn't sure what to do with him. He ch- still tried to direct traffic. He couldn't quite find his place, his appropriate place in the story, but it wasn't until after it was too late he looked up and saw. Jesus tells this story, so you'll see now. You'll see here. You'll see Lazarus in your midst. Uh, Eugene Peterson, in the book titled Tell It Slant, critiques us. Lazarus is invisible. Nobody sees Lazarus. In his invisibility, he shares the fate of the poor, the sick, the exploited, and all the wretched of the earth. Every society finds ways to shut its eyes, put fingers in its ears, and by the extravagant use of deodorants and Garbage trucks to get rid of the smell of decay, uncleanness, uncleanness, stench, and squalor. We put our stick in our sick in hospitals, our elderly in nursing homes, our poor in slums, and our garbage in landfills. We're never entirely successful in keeping them out of sight and smell and sound, but we do our best. 
Every once in a while, a novelist or a poet, a journalist or preacher tries his or her best to stick our nose in it, but by and large, by averting our gaze, turning, tuning out the sounds and sanitizing the environment, we manage pretty well not to see or hear or smell or touch. Lazarus. Jesus wants you to meet Lazarus. Jesus wants you to see Lazarus. We're so good at seeing people the rich and the famous. Have you noticed how the news headlines have shifted their focus in the last little while? It's sort of been fascinating to me. You know what we're talking about this week? Harry and Meghan. It's an important story. It's, a, it's an important story. But isn't it interesting, the shift? You know what we were talking about last week? Tiger Woods. I looked on one news site. The seven top stories were about Tiger Woods' car accident. We see so many people, the rich and the famous, the popular and the strong and the smart, and we fail to see, we avoid, we work hard to stay away from Lazarus. Jesus tells us a story to wake us up. Will you see him? Will you notice? Will you care for Lazarus? Or Maya, the little girl, Julia, read for us a minute ago. Or how about this story? Uh, another, another student in one of our West Michigan schools named John. John, a very quiet, shy student, was caught putting tacos from the school lunch line into his pockets. A teacher saw John doing this and reprimanded him for taking extras when he wasn't supposed to. John wasn't the type of student to get into trouble. When pulled aside and asked why he took the extra tacos, John looked up and began to cry. He said, I don't know if I'm going to eat again. John was signed up for sack suppers and no longer has to steal food or worry about going home hungry. Do you see him? Do you know where he lives? Lazarus? Maya? John? Be kind to people. Because Jesus has been inconceivably kind to us. You can hop on our website to find out ways of participating in Kids Food Basket locally. If you're not from around here, surely there's an organization in your town or a neighbor you know. Be kind to people because Jesus has been inconceivably kind to us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.